This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Mr. and Mrs. North was a radio mystery series that aired on NBC and CBS from 1942 to 1954. Alice Frost and Joseph Curtin had the title roles when the series began in 42. The characters, publisher Jerry North and his wife Pam, lived in Greenwich Village at 24 St. Anne's Flat. They were not professional detectives, but simply an ordinary couple who stumble across a murderer or two every week for 12 years. The radio program eventually reached 20 million listeners. In 1946, Mr. and Mrs. North received the first Best Radio Drama Edgar Award from the Mystery Writers of America. In his book, Radio Crime Fighters, Jim Cox wrote, quote, The couple passed themselves off as a publisher and his homemaker, spouse, and they continued to make light-hearted wisecracks as they stepped over bodies in dark alleys and were rendered unconscious by unknown assailants dispensing blows to the head almost every week. The feminine half of the twosome was at least equal to the husband in solving cases that often baffled law employment officers with years of training and practice except in reading clues. No explanation was given, of course, as to why a couple of misfits could be so successful in their preoccupation while the professionals thrashed about ineffectually, unquote. Well, let's see what Mr. and Mrs. North get up to tonight on the episode, The Letter. Woodbury Cold Cream. Lovely to look at, delightful to know, and heaven to kiss. The makers of Woodbury Cold Cream, the beauty cream for the skin you love to touch, present The Adventures of Mr. and Mrs. North. Pam and Jerry knew Albie Baker couldn't have committed the murder. But there was all that evidence against him. And as his own lawyer said to the Norths one night in their apartment, I don't like it. I'm his lawyer, and his story doesn't even sound good to me. Yeah, I know. Oh, but you must believe him. Albie'd never kill anyone, never. What makes you so sure? Why, Jerry and I have known him for years. Well, I'm afraid that wouldn't convince a jury, Pamela. Pam's right, though. Albie's no killer. All you have to do is look at him, Mr. Hanson. He has one of the kindest faces I've ever seen. Oh, if only there was some way of finding that letter. Yes, yes. The letter is the only piece of evidence to support Baker's story. And nobody has ever seen it except Baker himself. Al said he showed it to Krug. But Krug denies it. He's lying. Well, it's Baker's word against Krug's. And with all the other evidence against Baker, I'm afraid the jury will believe Krug. 
Mr. Baker, just tell the court your story the way you told it to me. Now, you've told us that Private Detective Anderson questioned you about the stolen goods in your store. Yes, sir. He asked me where I got the merchandise, and I, I said from Mr. Warren. But I didn't know where Warren got it. What did the detective say to that? He said he'd investigate Warren. And then what happened? Well, about a week later, I got a letter from Detective Anderson. He said he thought he had the goods on Warren and asked me to invite Warren to my apartment. I was to introduce Anderson to Warren as, uh, as a friend of mine. Well, then... So, Mr. Baker, Detective Anderson wrote you a letter telling you that he wanted to meet Warren in your apartment, did he? Yes, sir. Where is that letter? I... I don't know. You don't know? Let's see. Did anyone besides yourself ever see that letter? Yes. Yes, I, I showed it to Wilma Crew. Why? Well, I, I wanted his advice. After Anderson was murdered in my apartment, I, I was in a jam. I thought Wilbur would help me. I showed him the letter and asked him what I, what I should do. What did he do with it? I don't know. He, he must have destroyed it. Did you see him destroy it? No, sir. You didn't see what he did with it? No, sir, I did not. Well, wasn't that a rather strange thing to do? To give someone such a vital piece of evidence and then not even notice what he did with it. I, I was upset and confused. I, I hardly knew what was happening. Besides, I thought he was my friend. I, I didn't think there was anything. Mr. Krug, did the defendant ever show you a letter to him from Frank Anderson stating that Anderson was to meet Warren in the defendant's apartment? No. He did not. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, this case is very simple. Stolen merchandise was found in the store of the defendant. This is a fact. A man investigating the stolen goods was murdered in the defendant's apartment. This is a fact. Against these facts, we have only the defendant's word. And the letter he claims the dead man, Anderson, wrote him. Very well, where is that letter? Did anyone but the defendant ever see that letter? No. And why? For the very simple reason that there is no such letter. There never was such a letter. Frank Anderson didn't go to Baker's apartment to see Warren. He went there to see Baker. And it was Baker who killed him. <laughs> Gentlemen of the jury, have you reached a verdict? We have, Your Honor. We find the defendant guilty as charged. Jerry, I'm just sick. Think of it. Albie Baker convicted of murder. Yeah. Such a nice little fellow. If only there was something we could do. Oh, darling, I don't feel like seeing anyone. Well, I'll go send whoever it is away. Ah, Mr. North. Oh, hello, Mr. Krug. May I come in? I have something to tell you. You mean you're ready to tell the truth about that letter? More. I'm ready to produce it. What? Yes. Oh, don't think I've enjoyed playing the part I did. I despise myself. But I'm really a very weak character, and in my own way, I have to look out for myself. Every man for himself in this dog-eat-dog world, I always say. Skunk would be more like it. But come on in if you really have something to offer. Oh, thank you. 
Don't be too harsh in judging me. I'm prepared to undo the wrong I've done. Good. But uh, for a price. Ah, Mrs. North, as lovely as ever, I see. Darling, this worm has decided to take a turn for the better. He's going to let us have the letter. Oh, good. But as I mentioned before, for a price. All right. What price? Well, it depends. On what? On QP Warren. What's he got to do with it? Well, uh, the letter, while clearing Albie, would convict Warren. Under the circumstances, he'd be willing to bid on the letter, too. You mean you're going to give that horrible thug a chance to buy that letter? To, to practically buy Albie's life? You know we can't match dollars with that gangster. He's big time, and I don't have that kind of money. As for Al, the poor fellow sank his last cent on the trial. You have friends. Well, I, I'll see what I can do. Mr. Krug, you're... You're... Oh, there are no words for you. Well, after all, Mrs. North, I do have to eat, you know. Why? Oh, oh, me. Everyone hates me. Well, it's to be expected. But do unto others and you wind up on the bedline, I always say. I'd much rather be comfortable and well-fed than popular. So, let's get down to business. Now, tomorrow you come to the address I'll give you. Naturally, you won't mention this to the police or the deal's off. I'll see to it that you're not followed. You'll go up one flight of stairs, knock on the door three times, and if everything is ready... Ah, Mr. and Mrs. North, I've been waiting. Ah, come in. Mr. and Mrs. North, allow me to present Mr. Cupid Warren. How are you? Why are you locking the door? Mm, so we won't be disturbed. Well... Now, let's get started, shall we? Come over to the table and sit down. All right. All right, bright eyes, where's that letter? In time, Mr. Warren, in time. I ain't got time, and I ain't bidden like see what I'm bidding on. Very well. Just a moment, and I'll get it. No, if you and your missus are smart, you're going to keep your mouth shut when I start bidding. Unfortunately, we're not very smart. Well, don't say I didn't warn you. If you wake up in the morgue some morning, you'll know why. All right, folks, here we are. The one and only genuine Frank Anderson letter to Albie Baker. Let's see that. Ah, Mr. Warren, mustn't touch. Give me that letter. Oh, a gun? Yeah. Hand over that letter. Oh. Thank you, thank you, Mr. North. You hit him with that chair just in time. And now I have the gun. I was very foolish. I should have seen to it that he was disarmed before he came in here. Ah. Get up, QP. You're all right. Oh, I'll get you for this, North. Well, folks, shall we start the bidding? Yes, let's get it over with. Very well. What am I bid for this 100% foolproof, perfect alibi for Albie Baker? I'll give you a grand. I beg your pardon. You heard me. A grand, he says. $1,000. dollars don't you realize your life hangs on this piece of paper, Mr. Warren? Is that all your life is worth to you, a measly thousand dollars? His life isn't worth a measly twenty cents. I'll bid two thousand. But, Mr. North, Albie Baker's life also depends on this paper. Is two thousand dollars all you bid for your very dear friend? He was supposed to be your very dear friend, too, remember? Come now, let's stop this fooling around. I want a real bid. Five grand. And if you open your mouth, North... I'll push your face so far back through your head every time you want to blow your nose, you'll have to turn around. Ten thousand. All right, wise guy, you'll get yours. Ten thousand, I'm bid. Ten thousand. Do I hear fifteen? Come, come, gentlemen, what are we waiting for? Fifteen. Twenty. Why, you? Well, now, this is more like it. Twenty is bid. Do I hear thirty? Thirty, thirty. Do I hear thirty? Jerry, where are we going to get twenty thousand dollars? I don't know. Twenty-five. Thirty. Mister, you're just asking for trouble and don't think you won't get it. 
Now I'll give you just one more chance. Forty grand, Krug, and that's positively, absolutely my last bid. And North, if you and the little lady don't want to go swimming in the river with your feet in a bucket of sea, ignore him, Mister North. I have forty thousand. Will anyone make it fifty? Fifty? Do I hear fifty? Forty thousand. Then it's going at forty thousand. Going once. Jerry, we can't let him get away with it. No, don't. Going twice. Okay, Krug. I'll make it 50. All right, brother, if that's the way you want to play. 50,000, do I hear six? You don't hear nothing. Let him take it. Okay. Sold to Mr. North for $50,000. How long can I have to raise the money? You don't have it with you? Huh. Don't be funny. Well, uh, how about tomorrow noon? Well, that's pretty fast. I'm in a hurry. I want to get this over with. Well, I'll do what I can. All right. I'll call you tomorrow and make arrangements. You better make arrangements for his funeral. <laughs> Jerry, how will we ever get that money? We're not millionaires. We're not even 50,000 heirs. Well, we'd better be before noon tomorrow if we want to get that letter. I wonder if it really is the letter. That's word for word what Albie told me was in the letter. We've just got to get that money. Can we, Jerry? I doubt it. But you bid. For time, darling. There must be some way we can... Jerry, look out, that car. Whip hand, come here. Jerry, you pulled me in at this doorway just in time. Yeah, it seems Cupid's losing no time keeping his promise. Jerry, car stopping in the next block. It's turning around. Oh, come on, I don't feel like playing target for that thug with a machine gun anymore. Where are we going? There's a taxi across the street. Oh, here we are. Quick, get in. Driver, stop going. I don't care where, only make it fast. Jerry, they're coming. Hurry, driver. They're still coming. Driver, turn again at the next corner. See if you can get away from that car that's following us. Good. Now, if you can shake them, you can name your own tip. But if you can't... Oh, we... Let's not even think about that, Jerry. After all, I don't have a thing to wear to my funeral. I hope I never have to go through anything like that again. No, it was a pretty bad ten minutes, wasn't it? If our driver hadn't cut through that alley, we never would have shaken them. Well, what do we do now, Jerry? We can't stay cooped up in this hotel room. Got to find some way to raise that money. Let's see. Do do we know anybody with $50,000 to spare? Do we know anybody with $50,000? No. Oh, there must be some way to get our hands on some money. Either beg, borrow, or steal it. Of course, Jerry. Steal it. Oh, now, Pamela, if you think I'm going to rob a oh, bank... Oh, no, no, Jerry, not money. The letter. What? Why don't we steal the letter? Oh. Well, we could... We could just... Uh, I don't know. It does seem like a good idea. We don't even know where he keeps it. It was in the back room. Yes, but you can be sure it's well concealed. He probably expects us to try just what you're suggesting. Well, I know how we can find out where he keeps it, Jerry. You see... When he thinks the house is on fire, he'll go right to the Wait a minute, wait a minute. Why should he think the house is on fire? Because of the smoke, silly. What smoke? From the bomb. Bomb? Smoke? What the dickens are you talking about? A scandal in Bohemia. Oh, uh, what? 
Don't you ever read, Jerry. Nice book publisher. A Scandal in Bohemia is a story by Sherlock Holmes. Oh. You know, when Holmes wanted to find out where something was hidden, he had Watson set off a smoke bomb so that the woman who had hidden it would go and get it, and then he could get it. Uh, only he couldn't because she was very clever and, uh, well... Uh, that, that, I mean... That's all right, darling. I remember the story now. Well, how about it then, Jerry? Well... We can go see Mr. Krug to uh, ask for more time or something, and then we can set off a smoke bomb, and he'll think the house is on fire, and he'll run to get the... Well, all right, sweetheart, all right. You win. Let's go see what happens when smoke gets in his eyes. <laughs> Just what to do, don't you, Pam? Yes. Good. Just watch for my signal. Uh-huh. Well, here's Krug's apartment. We've got to be ready to work fast. Dollies, I hope it goes all right. Cupid! Oh! Yeah. You didn't expect to find me here, did you? <laughs> but I thought me and the boys ought to drop over and pay Krug a visit. And now you come to the party, too. <laughs> Well, that's well. That's just well. Come in. Well, I think we better. Uh, we were just leaving. I said, come in. That's right. Look, boys, we got company. Okay, Butch, lock the door. <laughs> A brief intermission with a wartime duty rule for the ladies. These war days, we can't have all we'd like in the way of member. Good grooming can do more than fine clothes to make you lovely to look at. And there's a wonderful way to help your skin keep immaculately well-groomed. A way so quick and easy that it might have been made just for these busy days. You see, there's one cream that all alone does everything for skin beauty. It gives your skin complete beauty care, for it's a complete beauty cream. It's Woodbury Cold Cream. Just try it tonight and see. Dip into a jar of silky soft Woodbury Cold Cream and cover your face with it well. The rich cleansing oils loosen dirt and old makeup. So wipe off the soil cream. Your skin will simply glow. It's so fresh, so clean. Now pat on more Woodbury. And leave some on your skin overnight. That's all. You've given yourself the famous Woodbury Beauty Nightcap. It takes just three minutes. And tomorrow, when you see your clearer, smoother, more radiant complexion, you want to do that every night. Use Woodbury to cleanse your skin in the daytime, too. Your makeup will go on with a porcelain-perfect finish. Four special softening and smoothing ingredients Make Woodbury cold cream so beautifying. Another ingredient makes Woodbury exceptionally safe, for it works constantly purifying the cream in the jar in case blemish-causing germs get in. No other cream gives you this added protection. Try this complete beauty cream. Get Woodbury cold cream tonight. <laughs> And now, back to Mr. and Mrs. North. In their attempt to get the letter that will clear Albie Baker, the Norths have gone to Krug's apartment, only to be greeted there by Cupy Wallace. You know, Mr. and Mrs. North, you just don't seem never to learn. 
Did I give him a once-over lightly, boss, just so they get the idea you ain't fooling? Not yet, Butch. You're not through with crew. Leave me alone, won't you? Sure, sure. As soon as you tell us where you got that letter. I'll never tell you. Okay, Butch. Right, boss. Now, Krug, this is going to hurt you more than it does me. No, don't. That was nothing, Mr. North. Butch is just getting warmed up. You going to talk, mister? Okay, how do you like this? No. And this. No, stop it. Stop it. I'll tell you. I'll show you where the letter is. Okay, Krug. Where is it? I'll get it. It's behind this picture. There's a panel. Jerry, he's getting the letter. What do we do? Let's set off the smoke bomb. Maybe in the excitement. We can get of course, Jerry. Oh, no, you don't. I'll take that thing. Come on, hand it over. Come on. Okay. Jerry, we're licked. Looks like it. All right. Here's the letter. Good. Bring it here, Butch. Here you are, boss. Ah. Oh. Huh. So I was supposed to top 50 grand for this, hey, Krug? <laughs> now I'll just take this cigarette lighter. And I like this corner of the letter. And there goes the last piece of evidence against QP Warren up in smoke. There it goes, Jerry. Yeah. $50,000. Albie's chance for freedom. Well, that's that. Jerry. Yeah, we certainly did. Is there any chance of doing anything for Albie now? I'm afraid not. You can only hope. I'll go, dear. Ah, hello there, North Old Man. Do you always have to be so blamed cheerful? Ah, but I have good news for you. Yeah? What? I'm a liar. A frightful liar. Is that good? But of course. Uh, may I come in? Okay. Well, darling, Krug crawled out from under his rock again. He says he has some good news for us. Hello, hello, Mrs. Norris. Hello. My friends, do you still wish to purchase that letter? What do you mean? It would have been foolish of me to show the real letter, wouldn't it? When I was dealing with a man like Q.P. Warren who might pull a gun at any moment. Yes, it would have been insanely foolish. And, Mr. and Mrs. North, I am not foolish. Weak? Yes. Selfish? Yes. But, uh... Do you mean that letter Krug burned was not the original? Exactly, Mr. North. It was a copy. And the original? It's carefully put away where it shall remain until the money is made ready to change hands. Oh, thank heavens. Jerry, there's still a chance. Yes. Well, now, sir, do we do business or don't we? We do. Good. But on different terms. I beg your pardon. You were able to force a high bid from Jerry before by the pressure of Cupid's bidding. But since you can't deal with Cupid anymore... Why can't I deal with him? Because you tricked him. So he'd never trust you again. He'd never know whether you were holding back a, a photographic copy or something. And the letter doesn't do him any good unless he's sure that he's destroyed every last copy of it. That's right, Krug. Ah, me. So it is. So it is. Distressing fact. But we'll do business with you because we only have to worry about one copy. The original. But we'll have to make sure it is the original... And we won't pay you anything like $50,000. What will you pay? Oh, perhaps a thousand. <laughs> My dear man, you're joking. It wouldn't be worthwhile to bother. You seem to forget, Mr. Krug, that if we don't buy that letter, it's worthless. 
You might just as well take what we offer as it's all clear profit. And you seem to forget that if I don't take your offer, Albie Baker goes to the electric chair. I can sit tight and wait. I think you'll come across. Oh, you're despicable. I certainly am. I hate you. I hate myself. You seem cheerful enough about it. That, sir, is because I dislike myself so thoroughly, I enjoy hating me. Oh. The trouble with me is I should have been a poet instead of a blackmailer. I have the heart of a poet, the feelings of a poet, the soul of a poet. Well, then why aren't you a poet? Simple. My poetry stinks. Tell you what, Nob. Let's settle this matter. Ten thousand dollars. Take it or leave it. Okay. It's a deal. Jerry, do, do we just stand here on the corner until he shows up? Uh-huh. Now that he's ready to show the original letter, he's being extra cautious. He's not telling us any address. Afraid we might send the police there. I only hope this time it is the original. Well, I got some samples of Anderson's handwriting. We'll compare them with the letter. I'm not giving up $10,000 for any phony. I have too much trouble raising it. How will we ever pay it back, Jerry? It won't be easy. Mm, Fifteen, seven, a dollar, five. Uh, make it a dollar. That's easier. Uh, how many weeks are there in a year, Jerry? Fifty-two. <laughs> Why? I'm trying to figure out how much we could save if you give up smoking. Oh, I'm afraid it's not very much. It's too bad I don't smoke, then I could give it up, too, and you'd save twice as much. Oh, we'll manage somehow, Pam. But it won't be easy. You know, Jerry, people shouldn't be allowed to blackmail anyone except very rich people. I think that's crew coming out. Hello, Mr. and Mrs. North. Get in, please. Okay. Go ahead, Pam. All right. There we are. Now we'll just drive around for a while. Oh, the OPA is not going to like that. Ah, I have to make sure we're not being followed. Better to be cautious than sorry, I always say. And I'm satisfied no one is following. I'll take you to a room I've rented just for this little meeting. Well, Mr. North, are you satisfied that that is the real letter? Hmm. Yeah, it seems to be. Good. Then, if you'll pay me, we can conclude our little negotiation. Here you are. Ah, thank you, thank you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Mm-hmm. Yes, seems to be correct. Well, that's that, then. I'll run along now, but just one more thing. You want to wait here for five minutes before leaving. All right. Well, goodbye, and please believe me when I tell you I'm heartily ashamed of myself. Goodbye. Well, we've got it at last, Jerry. Yep. Oh, I can hardly wait to tell Albie. Uh, do they have telephones at Sing Sing? Well, not private ones. It'll be a wonderful surprise for him. Miss Skippy Warren's in for a surprise, too. Yes. Oh, how I'd like to see his face when he finds out that what he burned was only a copy and that we have the original. <laughs> What's your sister? Oh. Well, take a good look. <laughs> yeah, and this time I'm finishing the job. I've had trouble with you two for the last time. What are you going to do? What do you think I'm going to do? Nobody plays me for a sucker and gets away with it. Oh, but it was Mr. Cruz. I'll take care of him later. Right now, I got business with you. I'll fix you so I don't have no more trouble with you. Oh, wait a minute. Can't we... No, I won't wait. I'm finishing you now, Mr. What happened, Jerry? Hello, Mr. and Mrs. North. Who? 
I never thought I'd be glad to see you. I saw Cupid coming down the hall, so I hid, and then I followed him back here. You saved our lives. Oh, I had to. I've entered this room, you see. If you were found dead in it, I'd be suspected, so I couldn't let him kill you. Not here. How did he know we were here? Well, I don't know. He must have had someone spying. Uh, how is he? Did I... Why doesn't he move? Oh, dear. I'm afraid I've killed him. Looks like it. I only meant to wound him. Oh, dear. Now his body will be found. I'm no better off than if he killed you. Uh, uh, somehow I like it better this way. Look, um, I was only trying to protect you. That's true, isn't it? Yes. You'll say that, won't you? You're the only witnesses you know. You'll testify that he was trying to kill you, won't you? If you don't, they might make a first-degree case out of it. Please don't let me down. After all, I saved your life. Yes, you did. So you will tell them what happened, won't you? Sure, we will. Don't worry. Ah, thank you. However, it's going to cost you just $10,000. What? Yes, otherwise we might have a sudden lapse of memory. Isn't that right, Pam? Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, how about it? Okay. You win. Here you are. Good. Thanks. Pammy. Oh, that's life. Nothing ventured, nothing gained, I always say. However, it is rather annoying to have ventured so far and still gained nothing. Well, it's no more than I deserve, I dare say. It's a lot less than you deserve. You ought to be in jail. However, let well enough alone, I always say. Uh, What's that? Cupid. Uh, what? But you said, you said... No, I didn't. You did. Oh. Your shot missed him completely, but it startled him just enough to give me a chance to clip him. He was standing between you and me so you couldn't see it. No, no, no. Your gun won't help you. I have Cupid's gun now, and I'm ready to use it. Better put yours on the table. Go on. All right. Ah, me. Seems I've played every card wrong, haven't I? Well, I suppose there's nothing left for me to do but go back to my portrait. Well, Jerry, we have the letter and it didn't cost us a thing. And we've caught Cupid. Everything's turned out for the best after all, hasn't it? Not quite. What do you mean, darling? Think what we've done to love as a portrait. One of the busiest Bond sellers among the film stars is Dorothy L'Amour. And she's one of Hollywood's busiest filmmakers, too. You'll be seeing her soon in the new Paramount Technicolor picture, Riding High. Now, in spite of all that Dorothy L'Amour is doing, that luscious complexion of hers stays as fresh and clear as ever. For you see, Dorothy L'Amour is mighty smart. She's got her complexion care down to a matter of just a few minutes. And here's what she told us about it. My every night skin care is the Woodbury Beauty Nightcap. I've never found anything else so helpful. It's all done with Woodbury cold cream in just three minutes. And many more among Hollywood's loveliest stars have this same beauty care. Try it, girl. Woodbury cold cream gives such remarkable results because it's a complete beauty cream. Besides cleansing, it softens and smooths beautifully and does still more. Jars ten cents to a dollar and a quarter. That's Woodbury, W-O-O-D-B-U-R-Y. Woodbury Cold Cream. Get a jar tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, give to the National War Fund. This fund helps many great works. It combines the appeals of 17 national relief organizations and your own money go for our boys in prison camps, to feed starving children abroad, and of course, for relief work in your own community. The need is greater than ever. So give when the war chest drive is announced in your community. Give as you never gave before.
again next week at this same time for another adventure of Mr. and Mrs. North, starring Alice Frost and Joseph Curtin. For thrills and laughs, be sure to listen, won't you? This is Ben Grower saying goodnight for Woodbury Cold Cream. Lovely to look at, delightful to know, and heaven to care. program came to you from New York. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Stay tuned for Our Miss Brooks next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. And now let's find out what Evil Plans Principal Conklin has in store for Our Miss Brooks. This episode, Stretch as a Problem, first aired in 1949. Palm Olive Soap, your beauty hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. (laughs) Our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, was as grateful as any other teacher for the Washington's birthday holiday observed last week. And far be it for me to criticize the actions of the father of our country. But I can't help wishing that he had taken more than just one day to be born. (laughs) Of course, the one day off was better than nothing. But I must admit I looked forward to a weekend of not teaching with considerable anticipation. It isn't that I'm not fond of my pupils. I think they're a wonderful horde of kids. But after the events of last Friday, I seriously considered giving up teaching and taking a course in rug tatting or peanut art. (laughs) It started Friday after school. Mr. Boynton, the usually bashful biologist, displayed a surprisingly different attitude when I entered his laboratory. Hello, Mr. Boynton. Hello, Miss Brooks. I was just going to come down to your room. Oh, then I'll get back there right away. I wouldn't want to miss you. (laughs) Well, I guess what I have to say can be said here, all right? Although, I can't help wishing the surroundings were different. Different? Yes, Miss Brooks. More romantic. Romantic? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I know I haven't been the most aggressive chap in the world, but I do think of other things besides my biological experiments. Things that are, well, more personal. Personal? Yes. (laughs) Things that a, a man thinks about a woman sometimes, whether she's a fellow teacher or not. Or not? Just move my needle a notch to the right (laughs) Mr. Boynton, what is it you're trying to tell me, I like to think? (laughs) Well, it's just that, like I said before, I wish the surroundings were different I wish we were in a blue lagoon somewhere with a soft breeze blowing through your hair and... Oh, but we're not I can take care of that, Mr. Boynton Of course, I I don't know why we have to be in a blue lagoon. I guess I just feel more confident when I'm over water. Well, hop up on this stool and I'll fill a pan. (laughs) I mean, please continue, Mr. Boynton. Well, as you know, Miss Brooks, I've been coaching the basketball team while Mr. Haney's been ill, and, well, we've been lucky enough to win the championship in our particular conference. Yes, I know. We've been invited to play in the state championships at Martinsville. The entire squad leaves this evening. We won't be back until next week. I I just want you to know that, well... Yes, Mr. Barney? It's terribly important that we win the championship. 
Oh, you'll win it, Mr. Barton. But what else were you going to say? Well, I'm not so sure we'll win it. After all, we're playing a round robin. Well, I bet you could spot him four worms and beat him easily. <laughs> I know you're kidding me, Miss Brooks, but I don't mind. You know, now that I'm leaving town, I've come to realize certain things about our relationship. At last, formal recognition that we have a relationship. <laughs> well, without getting too basic too quickly... I'd like to state that in the past, whenever the situation seems auspicious for declaring certain emotional reactions I've felt, upon finding myself in close proximity to you, that is, some outward manifestation seems to... Pardon me, Mr. Boynton. Couldn't you get a little more basic more quickly? (laughs) What I'm trying to say, Miss Brooks, is that there always seems to be some sort of interruption when I want to talk to you about certain things. What kind of interruption? I see what you mean. Come in. Well, Boynton, as principal of Madison High, I... Oh, I thought you were alone. We were for a minute. That is, uh, I was just saying goodbye to Mr. Boynton, Mr. Conklin. I see, Miss Brooks. And have you finished saying goodbye? No, Mr. Conklin, we haven't. This boy's been taking brave shots. (laughs) Uh, What I mean to say, sir, is that we can finish talking after you've spoken to me. Very well. I simply dropped in to wish you good luck with the team, Mr. Boynton. Remember, by winning the championship cup, you not only honor yourself and the athletes involved, but you bring further glory to the already hallowed name of Madison High. Glory and prestige, fame and all... How much have you bet on the game, Mr. Conklin? Just a a fin. I was... No! (laughs) You know I never bet. It's just that we must get that cup. Don't worry, Mr. Conklin. We've got the high-scoring forward of the conference on our team, you know. I see. And how's this boy's condition? Tip top, I trust? Well, he's six foot five inches tall, so his top would be hard to tip. (laughs) (laughs) That's a joke, sir. Thank you. (laughs) By the way, Miss Brooks, is this the boy we transferred from Miss Enright's English class to yours? Yes, sir. Well, tell me, how's his state of mind? What there is of it is quite happy. (laughs) Well, I know he's not a brilliant student, but now that he's in your class, Miss Brooks, I'm sure he'll improve. Uh, From what I hear, the boy's an all-round athlete. I want him eligible for other sports during the coming term. Well, I'll do whatever I can, Mr. Conklin. Of course, it's difficult to give a test without any questions in it, but... uh... (laughs) We'll get him through all right, Mr. Conklin. Good, good. Well, I'll be running along now. Best of luck, Boynton. Bring back that cup. Let's see now, where were we? Oh, I know. You were telling me something personal. Well, I wouldn't like to repeat myself, Miss Brooks. Do you remember what it was I said last? Oh, how could I possibly remember what you said minutes ago? It was just something about... You'd like to state that in the past, whenever the situation seemed auspicious for declaring certain emotional reactions you felt, upon finding yourself in close proximity to me, that is, some outward manifestation seems That's to... right. And then you said, couldn't we get a little more basic more quickly? Right. Then you said there always seems to be some sort of interruption when you want to talk to me about certain things. And then you said, what kind of interruption? <laughs> and then I wrote, whoever it is, get lost. <laughs> Come in. Hiya, Coach. I just... Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. Hello, Walter. How are you? Fine and dandy. Good. Bye-bye, Walter. (laughs) I just wanted to remind Mr. Boynton about the big doings tonight. There's going to be a torchlight parade and a snake dance. You'll be there, won't you, Miss Brooks? 
Yes, Walter, if I can find a snake in time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, uh, before I go, Miss Brooks, have you seen Stretch around anywhere? Uh, no, not for the past few hours. Well, if he shows up, please send him into the gym, will you? I want to give him exact directions so he won't get lost on his way to the bus station. Knowing Stretch, he can get lost after he's got the directions. <laughs> we'll send him in to you if he shows up here. Thank you, and good day, Walter Denton. Ah, thank you, Miss Brooks. And may I suggest that you speed Mr. Boynton on his way with a salutation befitting the mentor of a sterling aggregation such as the Madison basketball team? Walter. So long, Coach. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're not embarrassed by Walter's inference, Miss Brooks. You think that would embarrass me? You need a coach, coach. <laughs> now, let's take off for that blue lagoon, hmm? I'm afraid I don't comprehend, Miss Brooks. My hair is blowing in the breeze again. <laughs> <laughs> what is it you were trying to tell me before Walter came in? Well, it's just that with my leaving tonight, we won't be seeing each other at all over the weekend. I know, Mr. Boynton. Come in. Oh, it's Stretch. How are you, son? Hi, Mr. Boynton. Hello, Miss Brooks. Hi. Well, how do you feel about our impending junket? Huh? Mr. Boynton wants to know how you feel about the trip you're taking this evening. Oh, well, I ain't going. Stretch, don't say ain't. Don't say you ain't going. <laughs> What's the trouble, Stretch? You're not ill, are you? There's nothing wrong with me. Physically, my trouble is mostly mental. Well, don't be self-conscious. <laughs> no, wait, what is it, Stretch? Maybe I can help you. I'm afraid you can't, Mr. Boynton. You see, it's, well, it's about a girl. A girl? You've seen them. They play on girls' softball teams. <laughs> is there anything I can do to help, Stretch? Yes, Miss Brooks, but I'd rather talk to you alone. If it's all right with Mr. Boynton. Why, certainly, Stretch. I've got to get down to the gym for a few minutes anyway. Miss Brooks, you will try to straighten him out, won't you? You know how important he is to the team. I'll do what I can, Mr. Boynton. Good. We'll see you at the snake dance tonight. Now then, Stretch. Tell teacher all about it. Well, I know I ain't good in English, Miss Brooks. You're not good in English. I know. But ever since the first test you give me, I knew that I was going to improve and get the kind of marks in English that I've always stroven for. <laughs> stroven for? Oh, I know I've got a lot to learn yet, but since I met you, I feel that you're more than just a teacher, that you understand kids, and that's why I come to you now. I ain't much at speeches, so I'll just say it right out, Miss Brooks. I'm in love. In love? With what? A who? <laughs> My best friend's girl, Walter Denton. People don't talk like this in any language. Stretch, are you trying to tell me that you've got a crush on Harriet Conklin? Exactly. When she's in the stands rooting for the team, I play great. When she isn't, like she's not going to be where we're going to play over the weekend, I don't. So I ain't going, Miss Brooks. Oh, now, wait a minute, Stretch. Have you told Harriet how you feel about her? Oh, no. Nor Walter either. I wouldn't want to hurt neither of their feelings. It's just that I can't play without Harriet in the stands. Look, Stretch, I heard that they're going to show the games on television right here in Madison. That means that Harriet will be in the stand. She'll be right on the sidelines watching your every move. Honest, Miss Brooks? May I swallow a board eraser? <laughs> now, will you attend the ceremonies tonight and then leave with the rest of the team for Martinsville? 
Well, if you say Harry, it'll be there on the sidelines. I guess I'll go along. Good. I knew you wouldn't disappoint Mr. Boynton and me. He was kind of counting on me, I guess. Funny thing about him, though. For a smart scientist, he's not very smart about getting someplace sometime. My stretch, what do you mean? Like with you, I mean. Here you are, a smart, pretty, brainy English teacher with no other attachments, and he don't do nothing about it. Stretch. Yes, Miss Brooks? You ain't just slapping your lips, Doc. Well, the pre-victory celebration was a huge success. A one-hour snake dance and the six-mile torch parade came off promptly at eight o'clock. And my feet came off promptly at nine. (laughs) After seeing the basketball squad off for the bus depot, I immediately limped home for a nice, warm bath. Mrs. Davis, my landlady, was sitting in the living room when I opened the door. Good evening, Connie. How was the snake dance? Very snaky, thanks. <laughs> did you bid Mr. Boynton a fun goodbye, Connie? Yes, Mrs. Davis. What did he say? Goodbye. <laughs> oh, that man. When is he going to open his eyes and see that? I think they're opening a little bit, Mrs. Davis. This afternoon in the laboratory, he really started to make a noise like an interested party. Oh, what happened? Nothing. I got all involved with the trials and tribulations of a star basketball player and his unrequited romance. But the weekend is upon us, and I won't have to play Dorothy Dix for a few days anyway. What are you going to do tonight, Connie? I have some very elaborate plans, Mrs. Davis. Tonight I'm going to have myself a schoolteacher's B&B. Benedictine and brandy? No, bath and bed. (laughs) If you'll excuse me now, I'll drag my carcass into the bathroom and run a tub. Oh, you don't have to do that, Connie. I've already let the water in. I was going to bathe Minerva tonight. The cat? But cats aren't supposed to get baths, are they? (laughs) Oh, Minerva loves it. Besides, I've just got to bathe her. Why, are the mice complaining? (laughs) No, uh, she was walking near the sink this morning and slipped on the tile, poor dear. Fell right into some dough I was mixing for bread. (laughs) Then maybe Minerva better use the water that's in the tub. (laughs) She can wait. You run along, Connie, and take a nice restful... Now, who in the world can that be? Coming! Stretch, what are you doing here? Why aren't you at the bus depot? I ain't going. Again? (laughs) Well, come in for a minute. Thanks, Miss Brooks. This is Mrs. Davis. You remember Stretch. Of course. He's the famous quarterback on our hockey team, isn't he? (laughs) No, lately he's been playing goalie for our tennis team. (laughs) Could I talk to you alone, Miss Brooks? Naturally. Mrs. Davis, would you mind making a little tea? Not at all, Connie. I'd like some myself. How about you, Stretch? Nice glass of milk? No, thanks, Mrs. Davis. Well, I'll bring some anyway. Nothing like milk for a growing boy. I guess you're pretty disappointed in me, Miss Brooks, but I... Say, what's that? What's what? Right behind Mrs. Davis. There's a cake walking into the kitchen. Relax, Stretch. I see it, too. That's just our cat, Minerva. She fell into some dough. (laughs) Now tell me why you're not with the team. It's Harriet, Miss Brooks. Even though she'll be seeing me play on television, I won't be able to see her. I was afraid you'd figure that out. (laughs) Um, Look, Stretch. 
I'll get you a nice picture of Harriet and send it airmail. You'll have it by game time tomorrow night. How's that? Gee, I don't know, Miss Brooks. I would like to have a picture of Harriet, but I wouldn't want anybody to know that I... Walter's my best friend. I know, Stretch. You wouldn't want to hurt Walter or Harriet or either of their feelings. Believe me, I'll get the picture without anyone knowing for whom it's intended. Gosh, I hate to be such a problem to you, but... Well, I never mixed much with other kids outside of an athletics, I mean. And I think my name has something to do with it. Your name? You see, my real name is Fabian Snodgrass. <laughs> I guess when I was little and kids kidded me about it, I got sensitive. I see. Stretch, do you have any brothers or sisters? Sure. Two sisters and one brother. And do they have uh, peculiar names, too? Oh, no. They all got perfectly normal names. It's like the other day when I was talking to my sister. Rapunzel, I said. <laughs> Rapunzel. Well, that does it. I'll go into your case more thoroughly when you get back from this trip, Stretch, but right now you've got to rejoin the team. Come along. You won't forget to send a picture, Miss Brooks. I won't forget, Stretch. Lots of luck and goodbye again. Rapunzel Snodgrass. <laughs> There's a family for you. Oh, well, now for that bath. I better see if the water's still warm. Ooh, it's pretty cold. I better let it out and run a fresh one. Come and get your tea, Connie. I'll be right there, Mrs. Davis. I'm afraid Minerva's water got a little cool. I'm running another tub for myself. Very well, dear. Where did Stretch go? Back to the bus depot. Wait till I close this door. Poor kid, he's hopelessly in love. Yes, I overheard. But he shouldn't worry so much about the other boy in the case. Why, when my sister Angela was a girl, she never went out with one boy at a time. She didn't? No, she played the field, Angela did. Why, I remember one time she went out with twins for over a year before she found out they were triplets. <laughs> Poor Angela. The eternal quadrangle. I'd better take a look at that bath. There, nice and hot. Now to get these clothes off and... Oh, no, not another interruption. Hi, Miss Brooks. It's me. Can I come in for a minute? Yes, Walter, but that's about all. I'm trying to take a bath. Well, that'll have to wait, Miss Brooks. Well, it's getting plenty of practice. What's the matter, Walter? It's Stretch. He disappeared from the station. And when last seen, he was heading in this direction. He did come here, Walter, but I sent him back down to the depot. Well, that seems like a pretty silly maneuver. Well, what did he come here about? He wanted some advice. He's in love, Walter. In love? <laughs> in love with who? Whom? Who's she? <laughs> He's in love with somebody that doesn't love him, a girl who goes with another fellow. Now, what kind of a girl would go with a fellow when she could go with a star basketball player like Stretch? I can't divulge the details, Walter, but Stretch was miserable about the situation. But he's not supposed to be miserable. This is a crucial time. If he likes a girl, she should go with him and brush off this other jerk. <laughs> Careful, Walter. You may hate yourself for this. <laughs> Look, I've smoothed his feathers and sent him back to play the game of his life. Now, you get back to the depot and don't say a word about what I've told you. Well, all right, Miss Brooks. But I wish I could get a peek at the guy that's got Stretch's girl buffaloed. You may never see him till you start shaving. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye to you again, Walter Denton. 
Well, let's see how this water feels now. It could be warmer. I'll let a little out and refill it. Singing in the bathtub. La-da-da-da-da. Singing in the bathtub. Now we'll just put the plug back in, run for more water. I always thought that teaching was my only profession, but bathing can be quite a career, too. <laughs> there, that ought to be just right. Singing in the bathtub. Nothing can go wrong. Singing in the bathtub. Oh, I should live so long. <laughs> come in, come in, whoever you are. Oh, it's Mr. Boynton. Oh, I'm sorry to bother you, Miss Brooks, but Walter Denton's disappeared from the bus depot. Have you seen him? Of course I've seen him. Won't you come inside, Mr. Boynton? Uh, I haven't time, Miss Brooks. You say you saw Walter. Where is he now? On the way back to the bus depot. Oh, good. Stretch got down there before I left, and when he found Walter gone, he was quite upset. Now everything will be all right. Sorry to have troubled you, Miss Brooks. See you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. You greyhound lockovar. <laughs> well, at least there's nothing to stop me from taking that bath now. It couldn't have gotten cool in that short space of time. Let's see. Now it's exactly the right temperature. I don't have to let out a drop. Wrong again. Oh, no, it's not you again, Stretch. I'm a monster. <laughs> What do you want from me, an affidavit? What's wrong this time? When Walter came back to the depot, I took one look at him, and then I knew. Knew what? I couldn't go to Martinville without his girl, Harriet. I just can't play unless she's really in the stands. All right, Stretch, I'll do my best. Go back down to the depot and wait for me. What are you going to do, Miss Brooks? I'm going to slip on a straitjacket and run over to the Conklin. <laughs> I wouldn't have disturbed you this late, Mr. Conklin, but it's absolutely essential if you want Madison to win that championship. What's essential, Miss Brooks? That you let Harriet here go to Martinsville with the team. Me? Go with the team tonight? But of course it's Walter. He needs me. Stop squealing, girl. <laughs> but don't you see, Daddy? Walter's the manager of the team and he needs me by his side. I hardly dared to hope for it, but now I know. Walter's my life, my future. My all. Walter isn't the one who requested that you come along, Harriet. It was Stretch. Stretch? But he's the best athlete at Madison. I'll rush to his side at once. <laughs> what about Walter? Who needs Walter? When's the bus leave, Miss Brooks? Not, not so fast, young lady. What's this all about, Miss Brooks? Well, it's Stretch, Mr. Conklin. He's got a crush on Harriet. And if she'll just be in the stands and root for him, he says Madison is bound to win. There's really no harm in it. No harm in it? But Martinville is 400 miles away. The basketball team is composed entirely of boys. Boys and Mr. Boynton. Who'd chaperone my daughter? <laughs> Who else but Miss Brooks? Come on, Miss Brooks, pack a bag and we'll have to... Oh, just a minute, Harriet. I can't oh, go to Martinville. Oh, of course you can. It's your idea, isn't it? Now go on home and get... Wait a minute. With Mr. Boynton coaching the team, you'll need a chaperone yourself. <laughs> then why don't you come along, Daddy? What? Me? The principal of the school leave Madison for a weekend? To watch our basketball team play a round robin with the best teams in the state? Tell your mother we're leaving at once. <laughs> oh, just one thing, Mr. Conklin. Yes? Do you think they have a bathtub in Martinsville? <laughs> 
Well, I never thought when I woke up this morning that I'd be riding on the bus with you and the team tonight, Mr. Barney. Well, I'm glad it worked out this way, Miss Brooks. I am too. Me too. So, <laughs> oh, uh, driver, I'm Mr. Conklin, the principal of Madison High. Oh, how do you do, Mr. Conklin? My name's Fredericks. What can I do for you? Well, I'd like to open a few of these windows, if nobody minds. It's kind of stuffy in here. Yeah, it is kind of crowded in the bus. You see, we didn't expect all you extra passengers. In fact, there was one kid back at the depot I couldn't even allow on. Which kid was that, Mr. Fredericks? Oh, some tall fella. Said his name was Snodgrass. Stretch Snodgrass. Well, well just, just as, as long, long as he wasn't, wasn't an important member of the team. team it... Stretch Snodgrass! <laughs> And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, Mr. Conklin was furious, and the only way I could square myself with him was to give up my seat to stretch when the bus returned to pick him up. Then I went home, got undressed, and steered my stubborn little course for the bathroom. Now I can really... Oh, hello, Mrs. Davis. Hello, Connie. I was going to postpone Minerva's bath till tomorrow, but she just couldn't wait any longer. Oh? When did you put her into the tub, Mrs. Davis? Just this minute, Connie. Well, I can't wait any longer either. Move over, Minerva. <laughs> Next week, tune into another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Palmolive Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, Frank Nelson, and Leonard Smith. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evenings over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at this same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. Have you ever stopped to realize how much freedom the American way of life offers you? Remember, in many countries, people have lost the freedom to work where they choose, start their own business, own their own home, invest their money as they see fit. Let's keep that free American way. Let's make it better by working a little harder on our jobs and by being better citizens of our country. Let's remember that the better we produce, the better we live. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's X-1, followed by Red Skelton. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.